0: Three simple steps to a fairy tale summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hello, hello, friends. You're listening to episode 22 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie. I'm so excited. We are literally days away now from opening the doors on the Read Aloud Revival membership site. We've been working so hard to put together this resource for you, a place for you to get all the tools and insight you need to build your family culture around books. There are video workshops, printed resources, workbooks, complete transcripts from the podcast, cheater guides to the episodes that will let you hop around to the parts of the podcast episodes you want to hear again without needing to listen to entire episodes for a second or third time. There will be live author events with your favorite children's authors, and we're going to be adding to the membership site every month. You can get in on it right from the start by visiting readaloudrevival.com or by heading straight to the membership site at readaloudrevival.me. Now, I want to let you know that today's episode is awesome. It's an episode with Carol Joyside and she rattles off approximately 5 million books during this episode. Do not stress and do not feel like you have to write them down. You'll never be able to keep up. Just head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 22 and my favorite sidekick, Allison, will have those all linked up in the show notes for you. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. Joy Side is a well loved speaker and consultant who helps parents make homeschooling and raising children simple, enjoyable, and affordable. She's well loved by the parents who seek her counsel and has a lot to say about the impact reading aloud has on growing minds, as well as some great tips for parents in the trenches. At the core of her philosophy is the secret to educational success great books, great books, and more great books. Today we're going to chat about some practical ideas for kids who don't love reading the books she thinks are most important for parents to read with their kids, and how reading aloud can make a difference with adopted or special needs kids. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, so let's get right into it. I started the interview by asking Carol to tell us a little bit about herself and her family. I taught
1: in uh, Christian schools and did some graduate work in public and private schools and I was driving down the street in Nashville, Tennessee, where we lived at the time. Our son was two years old, and I heard a radio broadcast on a new program, and they had this gentleman on who was in his, oh, I would say probably 70s at the time. You know, he seemed like he was Methuselah to me because I was so young. (laughs) And, (laughs) And Dr. Dobson was allowing people to call in live and talk to him, and Through that program, I was exposed to the concept of keeping children home till they're like nine years old and not teaching children to read till they're seven. And as I said, our son was two and I had taught in private and Christian schools where we taught reading, writing, and arithmetic to two and three-year-olds. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so I was so upset by this program that I almost drove off the road and I turned off the radio because I was so angry about it. And soon after that, the gentleman was on Focus on the Family again. My husband listened to it. He said, this makes a lot of sense. I said, I know, but we'd never heard of this. We'd never known anyone. You know, you feel like you're the only person, you know, who hasn't bowed their knee to bail. And so (laughs) that became, you know, kind of the beginning of our journey. We were always readers and we read to our son, but this really changed, you know, the whole focus. Soon after that, he came, this gentleman came to Pasadena. We were living by then in California and he came to Pasadena and I invited a girlfriend. We both volunteered at a crisis pregnancy center and she called me one day and she said to me, you know, we're trying to schedule your time. And I said, well, we're doing this, this thing, you know, homeschooling. And she said, we're thinking of doing that. I'm like, you're kidding. It was like, you know, right. Robinson Crusoe meeting Friday. You know, it's like, ah, someone else? No. Yeah, so we drove up to Pasadena, and would you believe the place was packed to the roof? And, you know, this one broadcast through Focus on the Family really was the birth of the homeschool movement on a large scale, particularly yeah. in the Christian community. And so through those years, you know, we just read constantly. Um, I'd say that Edith and Francis Schaefer were probably our some of our biggest influencers Mm -hmm. and reading out loud and what that looked like. But the idea of reading to older children, you know, was still kind of new. Like everybody knows you read to little kids, you know, picture books. But then you get to that chapter book thing. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when people stop reading out loud.
0: Exactly. Right.
1: And particularly in my generation, you know, being a baby boomer, now I was never read to personally, but. In our generation, people read to us, if they were going to read to us, until we learned to read. Mm -hmm. And then once you learn to read, okay, you're on your own. Yeah, so It's like riding a bicycle. And so we made that leap. And I still remember, Sarah, how it all came about. I was reading the little house books or trying to read the little house books to our son. Mm -hmm. And he was probably five, let's say. And it was falling very, very flat. The Little House books are very girly in the beginning of them. (laughs) And he would sit, we used to say that our son would sit through the reading of the yellow pages. Like, this is a little boy (laughs) that loved to be read to. But for some reason, this was not making it, you know, little girls with, you know, bows in their hair and gingham dresses and stuff. So I prayed about it and I said, Lord, there's no way that any child of mine is not going to grow up loving the Little House books. I'm not taking no for an answer on this from him. (laughs) So I went to the library and prayed about it, and I got the book Farmer Boy out. Uh And I thought, yeah, and I thought, this is the hook that I'm going to put in his jaw. So I brought it home, and then I, you know, used a little bit of (laughs) psychology. So I started reading it Mm -hmm. to myself. Now, of course, I read it before, but I started reading it to myself, and I started laughing out loud, like, as I'm reading it, because Farmer Boy is very, very witty. And so they would look at me, and I'd be like, ah, ah. and they're like, "What? Nothing? Nothing?" And then I'd read, some more and, I'd be like, ah, ah, ah. and I'd be like, "Oh, brilliant! That's
0: <laughs> so brilliant! Oh my goodness!" I know.
1: I know, I know, so finally, you know, I would read, you know, passages out loud, and then, you know, eventually one day, I said to my husband, "Oh, I'm kind of tired. Would you mind reading?" It? "Oh, well, if you insist," and you know, just hooking them and drawing them in. And I define a chapter book as a book you can't read in one sitting. And so that is the way that you have to kind of, like, you have to find a book that your kids are so excited about that will hold their attention so that they will even remember, like, what was going on in it. And they will be willing to wait till tomorrow and the next day and the next day.
0: And even put a little pressure on you, right? Because as a parent, I know when my kids say, aren't you going to read that today? then, you know, if I was thinking about skipping read of time, they'll keep me from doing that.
1: <laughs> you got it, Sarah, because the momentum goes. And a lot of times I recommend that families read like series books like the Little House books or the Narnia books or something when they're starting chapter books because not only does the momentum go from chapter to chapter, but it goes from book to book. So like right. I can remember when we were reading Heidi, which of course is a, a onesie, You know, we read it and we were so moved by it. We were like sobbing, you know, I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. and so my husband would be reading to us at night and we would just be like overcome. The spirit of God was just moving through this book. But when you finish it, you kind of feel like, well, there was never going to be another book in our lives. Nothing could ever compete with Heidi. And so you hit the ground, you know, it's like a sandbar. Whereas if it's a series, you finish the book, you love it. And immediately, like, ah, let's read the next one yes. and the next one and the next one. And so then you get that habit going, which then will carry you through that. This is what we do as a family. We read out loud at night. Daddy always reads to us. And when Daddy goes on business trips, he, you know, now in our generation, you know, for your generation, I should say, you guys can Skype with Daddy. Yes, you can, right. you know, do whatever, FaceTime with him and he can read to you. So that it becomes like imprinted in the DNA of your family. This is what we do for entertainment. This is how we bond. This is how we connect. And of course, mommy can read during the day, but daddy has the anointing. And so, you know, really drawing them into reading out loud, even if they read like robots, because the children are so excited to have that time with dad that even if he's not as good a reader as mom, it doesn't matter because he, you know, he has the anointing. So that's kind of our story, and it, that's now we have grandchildren, and so it's so fun now to see this next generation. And again, like our little granddaughter the other day, she's five years old, and mm-hmm. I was talking to her on the phone, and she said, and I try to send her books in the mail like every week.
0: Okay, and oh so, my um, goodness.
1: And I decorate the package differently every time, and you know, mail it so she knows it's from me when it comes. So the other day we're talking on the phone, and she says, Grammy, now, I was wondering if you could please send me some books on history. I said, well, honestly, I do send you books on history. She said, well, I was thinking about like Joan of Arc. I was really wanting some books on Joan of Arc. I'm like, she's five years old. I don't really know if Joan of Arc is that appropriate, right? But but seeing the fruit, right, in the next generation, because, you know, both of her parents are readers, and then she's been read to since the womb. And so you're just seeing now this five-year-old who just would rather be read to than just about anything mm-hmm. in the world. And so it's so delightful. I've been doing this now as a speaker for about 20, I think it's going on 27 years. Oh, wow. And so seeing now there are people coming to my seminars, Sarah, that are homeschooling their children and they were homeschooled mm-hmm. using my philosophy. So cool. So <laughs> is that fun? That just, yeah. you know. And we're seeing the fruit of these kids now who've turned out, grown up, gotten married, gone to college, all that jazz. And the fruit is there. And it's really, it seems simplistic, Sarah, but it really is like, how? read my lips, read good books, read lots of good books. You know, I mean, the end. Okay. It's like, oh, it couldn't be that simple, but it is.
0: do we try to make it so much more complicated than that. We feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could talk a little bit about the difference between shared reading and individual reading, because I think Mm -hmm. you're right that most of us, well, most of us were not read to after we were able to read ourselves. And so that it takes a little bit more mindful intention for us to do that with our own kids. But could you share a little bit about what a shared book does?
1: Well, you know, in the intro, you mentioned that we're going to talk about special needs children and adoptive children. And this is a great question to tie in with that issue. I work with so many families who've done, you know, adoption and the whole issue of attachment and how I can kind of jumpstart them in their attachment process. And I say to them, read to your children, read to them by the Mm -hmm. hour. And when you're reading to them, if they're small enough to fit, and I mean, small enough means that they don't break your legs, put them on your lap (laughs) and rub their back, rub their neck, rub their arms, make this the coziest happiest time of the day mm. so that you tell them, you know, you guys have been so good today. I think we're going to read two chapters instead of one. So you're sending them the message that reading is what we do for a reward. It's a privilege. It's never a right. And it's oh, never a punishment.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah, And so the bonding, the connecting, and then, you know, back to your question of shared reading versus individual reading. Shared reading is what bonds people together. So to use an analogy, let's say you were going to Europe this summer and you're going to, you know, trek and you're going to have backpacks and wear army boots and you're going to eat bread and cheese and sleep in youth hostels. And think of all the memories and all the shared experiences from that trip. And years later, even like, you know, at your children's wedding rehearsal dinner, you know, there's an open mic. And one of the kids is best man for the other kids. And he starts telling stories about, well, when we were on that backpacking trip through Europe and da 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 da. And my, you know, some guy threw up on my brother when we were (laughs) sitting at this, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? How those memories would bond you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, when you read out loud as a family, you don't leave your living room, but you're in Switzerland with Heidi and you're in. You know, I don't know, Africa with Patricia St. John and Mm -hmm. you're, you know, whatever. And you're experiencing and you're making friends that the whole family knows. And you're creating a shared vocabulary. And you know how to play poo sticks. And you know how to drive like toad. And you know, whatever. So it's the shared bonding experiences without ever leaving your home for the price of a free library card that makes your family cohesive and gives you a secret vocabulary and private jokes that make you one and make you close. And with adoptive children and high-need children that are having a harder time attaching as a family, these are the ways where you cry together, you laugh together, you travel together, and the pages of books, and it makes you one like the mortar between bricks.
0: I talked to Sarah Clarkson on episode 17 of the podcast. She was talking about now as a child who grew up in one of these literature rich homes where, you know, shared reading was part of their family culture. The kind of conversations they'd have over Christmas, you know, when they're all home and and the jokes. And it really was a vision that I would really love for my children to be able to live out. So that's really inspiring to me. So what sorts of books should we be reading with our kids? <laughs> oh,
1: well. Do you Where have do an you opinion, to- Carol? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Where do you want me to start? You want me to start with little kid books? Yes, let's or start there. Little kid books? Okay. So for the very young, you know, in my seminars, Sarah, I give Handouts and they have just been, as we're speaking, they are being absolutely beautifully designed by a designer and they're being revised. And so I have them right here on our table because I'm going through them and I'm rethinking, you know, what are the books we cannot let our children leave childhood without reading? So for the very young, I'd say probably with toddlers, a book that I have never seen fail. Would be the Read Aloud Bible Stories by Lindvall, published by Moody, with these huge, oversized, simplistic illustrations, and I've never seen a child not mesmerized by that book. I have not book. ever I, seen
0: that book. Are you sure? Are you sure
1: you haven't? I so don't there's think four so. of them. Okay. No, okay. So Read Aloud Bible Stories, Volume One, is my favorite, and my favorite in that is the story of Blind Bartimaeus, and it shows. You know, him being prayed for, you know, Jesus healing his eyes and then you're looking through Bartimaeus' eyes and the first thing he sees is Jesus. You haven't read that book?
0: Oh, you know what? I just pulled it up, I've seen the covers. I don't have it, but I've never read it. Oh them, but I okay. recognize well, Run him. don't
1: walk. Okay. okay. That is a must. <laughs> and that's volume one is my favorite. And then probably another book that I would just put on your, you know, gotta have it or you'll die book is um, list is Prayer for Child. By Rachel Field. Okay. Rachel Field is a famous poet, and she did this magnificent book about this little girl. Basically, it's kind of a prayer over her as she goes to bed at night, and she's thanking the Lord for her mommy, her daddy. She prays for the children around the world that don't have what she has. She thanks the Lord for her little chair, and it's just the most magnificent, magnificent book. And It's illustrated by Elizabeth Orton-Jones. It won the Caldecott Medal. Okay. And I know my assistant's little girl, who is, I think, four, she actually memorized it and recited it to me one day as a poem. And it's just, I have the book right here in my hands. Do you want me to read it to you? I would love that. Yes. Okay, I would love to read it to you. Bless this milk and bless this bread. Bless this soft and waiting bed, where I presently shall be wrapped in sweet security through the darkness through the night let no danger come to fright i sleep till morning once again beckons at the window pane bless the toys whose shapes i know the shoes that take me to and fro up and down and everywhere bless my little painted chair bless the lamplight bless the fire bless the hands that never tire in their loving care of me bless my friends and family bless my father and my mother, and keep us close to one another. Bless other children far and near, and keep them safe and free from fear. So let me sleep, and let me wake in peace and health, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
0: Oh, my three-year-old would (laughs) love that. Oh my goodness. Uh And it's my favorite baby present.
1: Like, when you go to baby showers, and everybody goes to Neiman Marcus and buys these ridiculous little tutus, that go to you know the Salvation Army six months later. When you give a book like this that will be read to that baby's grandchildren someday, Mm -hmm. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is a legacy. That's a present that will bear fruit. So that's a must. And then all the Mr. Small books by Lois Lenski, like Policeman Small and Cowboy Small and Papa Mm -hmm. Small. And then all the books by Marguerite D'Angeli as your children start to get a little bit older. But she also has a book for nursery and Mother Goose Rhymes. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh Yeah. So most people know her other books like the Hannah, but she also has the nursery rhyme book. And then, of course, the Beatrix Potter books, of which there are 18. Mm -hmm. And um, make sure that you get them in child size, the original little green books that Beatrix Potter insisted on. And we have our son's Peter Rabbit that he teethed on and his little teeth marks on the cover. So each child needs their own set of those. And then things like A carrot Seed and A Hole is to Dig and just super simple books, but that are brilliant. And then Ezra Jack Keats books, like A Whistle for Willie. Oh, yes. A Snowy Day. In. I think
0: we've read A Snowy mm-hmm. Day about 49 times last week, probably. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yes. And then the story about
1: Ping by Marjorie Flack mm-hmm. and Mike Mulligan and The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton and Little Toot by Heidi Gramat and... Umbrella is written by an author who I'm sure you're familiar with for another book and that is book Crowboy, which is for slightly older yes. children. Okay. And then as the kids get a little bit older, I would start reading them well of course from really from nursing on I would read them poetry by two people. One is A. A. Milne mm-hmm. and I would read them when we were very young and now we are six. And then I would also read them Robert Louis Stevenson poetry from A Child's Garden of Verses. So I would read them poems like, Jonathan, Joe had a mouth like an O and a wheelbarrow full of surprises. Or I'd read them, I have a little shadow that goes in and out with with me. me. (laughs) And what can be the use of him is more than I can see. So even a two or three-year-old will painlessly memorize those poems without ever knowing that they're even trying, you know. They're going to memorize McDonald's commercials. Exactly, I was going to say that.
0: <laughs> Robert Louis Stevenson. They he, might as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Might as well fill their, fill their memories with beautiful things. Otherwise, they're just going to be, you know, reciting the Geico commercial. So. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Exactly, Sarah. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make Delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register, even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word "fairy tale" all one word, to the number 33777.
1: And then one of my all-time dearest books in the world is The Oxcart Man by Donald oh, Hall. Oh, yes. And that's illustrated by Barbara Cooney, who also wrote the beloved Miss Rumpheus. Yes. So those books are a must. And then all of Robert McCloskey's books like Might Make Way for Ducklings, Blueberries for Sale. And then Leo Politi is not as well-known an author outside of California, but he wrote books about inner city children of different ethnicities and probably his best-known book simply because it won the Caldecott, Song of the Swallows. But he wrote many beautiful books about Latino children in Los Angeles and Alvira Street. And um, he's like a national treasure. And then Brenton Turkle. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, uh-uh, I'm not. But he, okay. Well, his books are set in New England. And he wrote about little Quaker children during the Puritan period. And his best known book is Thy Friend Obadiah, about a little boy on Nantucket Island who's befriended by a seagull. And it's just a precious book. And then he wrote Rachel and Obadiah and Obadiah the Bold. And so he's written a bunch of books. And then an author that I love very much. For people who are interested, by the way, Sarah, we do a free e-newsletter every quarter. Okay. And I wrote an entire newsletter on this book. So if they go to our website, caroljoyside.com, there's a, a sign up there for them to receive it for free. Oh, very and good. I'll make can, sure
0: there's a link in the show notes so they can find that easily.
1: Great. Okay. So there is an issue in our archive, which is also on the, On our website, you can access all the past newsletters. And so one of those newsletters was on Yuri Shulovits. He's a Jewish artist and author, and he wrote a book called The Treasure, which I consider a life-changing book. It's Mm -hmm. the story of a peasant in Russia, and very often he goes to bed with not enough to eat. And he has a dream one night, and the dream is of him in the courtyard of the palace. And he digs in the courtyard of the palace, and he uncovers a treasure. And so he takes a loaf of bread, and he puts salt in his pocket, and he walks across Russia. And the illustrations are magnificent, and Mm. they're like old master illustrations. And he gets to the palace, and he's hanging outside there, and the guard notices him, and he says, old man, what are you here for? And he says, well, I had this dream about this treasure here in the courtyard. And the guard said, Oh, go home, old man. He said, You know, I had a dream about this peasant named Isaac, which of course is his name. And the guard says, And I dreamed that I went into his kitchen and I dug in the hearth of his kitchen and I found a treasure. He said, Oh, go home, old man. So Isaac walks all the way back across Russia and he digs in his kitchen floor and he uncovers the treasure and he builds a house of prayer with the money. And he sends the guard a perfect ruby, and then it ends saying, and he never went to that hungry again. Ugh. And then the, the motto is, sometimes you must go far to discover the treasure that is at home.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Isn't my goodness. Good? Yeah, that's great. I've never heard that one. Oh,
1: I know. Goodness. It's a wonderful. When our son was at Wheat College, he was asked to speak at chapel. And he read that book to the Wheaton kids at at Chapel and told the story and related it to his experience leading wilderness trips for Wheaton College at Honey Rock. And that, you know, that sometimes going, you know, being stretched like you are in a wilderness trip where you're just surviving for 18 days without a tent and without water, without proper food and things, that that really helps you treasure, you know, your daily life and the things that you take for granted.
0: Yes, exactly. That's, you know what, that's one of the things I think... Really great books help me do, even as an adult, even really great children's books and fairy tales and picture books help me see the gift of my ordinary day that I might overlook.
1: Yes, Yes. that's so true, Sarah. I mean, the Lord speaks to me through children's books in in ways that almost doesn't happen when I read adult
0: books. There are a few adult
1: books. Right now, I'm just finishing To Kill a Mockingbird for probably the eighth time. And you know, C.S. Lewis said the mark of a literary person is that he reads the same books over and over again.
0: And ah, so, I've never heard that one before. Okay, yeah. So as I'm
1: re-reading it, of course, I am savoring every word and the brilliance and the insight. And but normally, children's books, you know, impact me at that level as well. Another author that I'd love to recommend to your listeners would be Alice Dahl and Oh, yes. She's best known- Do you know her? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she's best known for Bears on Hemlock Mountain, but I love her more historic books like The Story of the Fourth of July, The Columbus Story, those books where she really brings history down on a very simple level and yet a very profound level. And I just, I love her as, as a writer. So those are some books for young children. And then. As your kids move up a little bit, the Dolaire books, of course, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Buffalo Bill, Pocahontas, those books are life-changing and will really give your children a personal relationship with famous people because the Dolaire's understood that children want to know about famous people's childhoods, Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of another writer that did so well on that, and that's, Opal Wheeler, Mm -hmm. who wrote a beautiful series of books on composers for children that were out of print for many years, and I paid very large sums of money in (laughs) antique stores for her books, and now, thankfully, they're back in print. We're rejoicing on that. But children want to know, was this person poor? Did they get sick? Were they homeschooled? Were they mischievous? Did they get in trouble? I mean, they don't want to know about old men in white wigs. Right. They want to know about famous people in their childhood.
0: Well, I think Charlotte Mason has a quote on that somewhere about how, you know, dates and wars and, you know, all those things that we tend to focus on in history. (laughs) What a child really wants to know is who was this person, this one person, this single person? Exactly.
1: Because history is nothing but a series of biographies that you crochet together.
0: Oh, that's, that's all
1: history is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's his story. It's the story of God and his workings in the lives of men. And that brings me to another book by Alice Dog that is so precious, and that is The Courage of Sarah Noble. Oh, yes. Which mm-hmm. is just a barn burner book that your children will beg and beg for one more chapter. And then all the Marguerite D'Angeli books I mentioned, The Hannah, but she wrote a whole series of magnificent books. She's best known for her book on the Middle Ages, but I really love her American history books. So she wrote Door in, uh, in the Wall, of course, which won the Newbery, right. but she wrote The Lion in the Box, Henner's Lydia, Skip Pack's School, Jared's Island, Yanni Wondernose, just a whole slew, Ellen's America, *Copper*. Oh, interesting.
0: Food. So we've read Door in the yeah. Wall, but I haven't read anything else, so I guess I All need to go others. find some more.
1: Oh, she was truly the gold standard of children's literature, because she, Sarah, would go and do like a year's research before she would write
0: wow. the books. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. And so they're extremely historically accurate. They're not just people in costumes doing nineties you know, kind of things and talking <laughs> to their parents disrespectfully. And I just gag when I read what's considered historic literature that's being produced today. It's yeah. so wrong. Yeah. So she is the greatest, I think. And You know, she started as an illustrator, and she illustrated other people's books, and then thankfully, she wrote her own books. So she wrote them and illustrated all of her own books.
0: Brings me to another question I wanted to ask yeah. you about illustrations. So, what mm. what's the role of illustrations? Do you think what, why are those so important? Because a lot of the books you've mentioned have really beautiful illustrations. I see that as a running theme.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you noticed that, did you? Wow, well, <laughs> illustration! Oh, where do I start? It is so so important because there's nothing worse than reading a mediocre a book that is poorly illustrated or a book that is poorly written. So never let anything pass before your children's eyes that is not excellent, and beautiful, and of good report. And I think as Christians, we should be the most creative of all people. And very often, we're the least creative, and we get away with mediocrity in the name of, well, it's Christian, Mm -hmm. but it should be just the opposite. So let's talk about some key illustrators that will really shape your children's idea of beauty and excellence. Probably the first person that comes to mind is an illustrator that I use a great deal on my website, and um, her name is Jessie Wilcox Smith. She never married. She did, well, first I should start with the school that many of the people I'm going to tell you about attended. They were classmates of each other. So a man named Howard Pyle started an art school in Pennsylvania called the Brandywine School. Okay. And Howard Pyle is an author who is all over my lists as well because he was also Robin an author.
0: Hood. Robin Hood. Yes, right? yes. exactly. Okay.
1: Absolutely. And yes, he wrote Otto of the Silver Hand mm. and many, you know, the Wonder Clock, and he wrote many medieval set books. But Howard Pyle was a brilliant illustrator in his own right and illustrated his own books, as I said. And so he started this school of illustration, and his most famous alum is. Wyeth, N.C. Wyeth. So N.C. Wyeth is the father of Andrew Wyeth, and he's the grandfather of Jamie Wyeth. And he homeschooled his children and his grandchildren. And he actually had his children and grandchildren, he had all these beautiful costumes and props, and he would have them pose for him for all of his illustrations. So N.C. Wyeth did a series of books for Scribner's in the 30s and 40s called The Boy's illustrated classics hmm. and okay. he did Robin Hood and the boys King Arthur and the yearling and Robinson Crusoe. Oh, you know, what? we have Sarah a couple of
0: those. You're, yes, do you? Yeah, we do. Well, mm-hmm.
1: okay. If the house is burning after the baby pictures, <laughs> those are what to grab. Okay. They're very, very <laughs> precious and they're very valuable. So at that school, N.C. Wyeth and then also Jesse Wilcox Smith and she, some of my most revered illustrations that she did, were for George MacDonald's At the Back of the North Wind and for The Princess and the Goblin. Those books are very rare and very valuable if you can find them. But she also did the covers of Good Housekeeping for years and years. Oh, really? And she drew from family members, nieces, nephews, people like that. And her vision of childhood and mothering was just if you're having a hard day, you just have to look at one of her illustrations and it will set you up for the day. It's just she was amazing. And then another he also taught Maxfield Parish. So some of the great Liz Bishop and Green Elliott. So a a whole school of great illustrators were taught by Howard Pyle. And then as the years wore on, I mentioned Marguerite Angeli. She's one of my most beloved illustrators. Robert McCloskey illustrated Mm -hmm. his own books. The Dolairs met in art school in Europe, and their books are actually illustrated using huge lithography stones that you draw on with a wax crayon, and then you ink it, and where the crayon has been, the ink sticks. Oh, it's wow. a hugely expensive and complicated process. Huh. No one would ever do it today because you okay. are too cheap. But all their books, they illustrated and they did them with lithography. Wow. Another illustrator that you just cannot let your children go through life without constant interaction with is Ernest Shepard. He's best known, of course, for illustrating the Winnie the Pooh book. Oh, okay, but he yeah. also, thankfully, illustrated Wind in the Willows. And many people have tried to illustrate Wind in the Willows, but he is the illustrator okay. of Wind in the Willows. Ernest Shepard. Okay. <laughs> yes, Ernest Shepard. <laughs> and he also did The Reluctant Dragon. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. he was a wonderful illustrator. Another one is Arthur Rackham, an old English illustrator that I like very much. He's very creative. I mean, I could go on and on, but (laughs) you get the drift here that excellence is what we're looking for for our children and not to settle for less.
0: Well, I've noticed that if I do read a book to my child and the illustrations are lacking my kids will ask yes. not to see them because it's, it's <laughs> ruining the, the images in their mind, especially good my 11-year-old daughter. She, she does not want to see ugly illustrations. She'd rather oh, just see what the, she sees in her head. <laughs> just give her a kiss for me. That <laughs> okay. is
1: so discerning and so wise and good for her because she's absolutely right. My um, imagination is far better than these horrible illustrations, mom, yeah. is what she's saying. Yeah,
0: that's good right. That's right. Good for her.
1: Another illustrator that comes to mind who's a must, of course, is Garth Williams, and he's mm-hmm. best oh, yeah. known for doing the Little House books, mm-hmm. but he also did the Orphalines and many other books, and as you read sometimes through literature, you'll, all of a sudden you go, ah, Garth Williams did these. Or another word, mm-hmm. and another one is Edward Artizzoni, who is our granddaughter's favorite illustrator. Edward Artizzoni is known for, well, he was a British illustrator. He did... A whole series of books that he wrote, but then he also did The Little Book Room by Eleanor Fargian and did a beautiful job on that. But he did a series of his own books called The Tim Books. So Tim and the Sea Captain, Tim and Ginger, Tim and Charlotte, and they're about a little British boy, and they're so politically incorrect that we just (laughs) laugh out loud at them. And they're about a family who let their little boy go to sea. And he gets like shipwrecked and almost drowned and all these things. And he's working as a ship's boy and you know, on the ships in Britain, and they're the most delightful books. Mm. You would love Edward Artizzoni. I wish he were still alive today and still writing, but he illustrated a ton of books.
0: Very good. Okay. So as you're rattling off all these books, everybody's scrambling to take notes (laughs) and write them all down. I want to know about I know you love talking about building a family library. And I would love to hear some of your advice for families who are trying to build their own home library when the budget is limited.
1: Mm, Good question, Sarah. Well, first of all, budget doesn't have to be an issue. Discernment is really the issue. Okay. So I recommend that people take the list that I give them at my seminars or several books that I also put on the list for them. One of them is Honey for a Child's Heart.
0: Oh, yes. Uh And the
1: other is Books Children Love. And that they take them with them, like keep them in your purse at all times. And so every time, you know, say you have a grandma who's a garage sale person or, you know, you're at a used bookstore or something, you begin to educate yourself and you keep lists of what you're looking for, key authors, key illustrators. And now, Sarah, on our handouts, we've actually just right now adding illustrators to my list so that people, yeah, so that they'll know who are the key authors, who are the key illustrators. And then when you go, you're looking for these people's books all the time. You're on a mission from God. And think in terms of just what you said, Sarah, building a library, not buying books. So when you build a library, it looks very different because I would rather that you have 10 books, but they were the right books Mm. than masses of junky books. Mm -hmm. And when I say junky books, it has nothing to do with price because some of the best books are $0.10 cents at garage shows, <laughs> and some of the worst books are $25 at B. Dalton, yeah. so it's not a financial consideration. It's a discernment, like I said, so let's start at the beginning. The four pillars of Western civilization that you must have, or your children are disadvantaged, okay. would be the complete set of Winnie the Pooh, that's 18 books, Okay. Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, A Child's Garden of Verses by Robert Louis Stevenson, and the four a Milne book, So, House of Pooh Corner, Winnie the Pooh. Now we are six, and when we were very young. So okay, two of so those are going to be um, poetry and two prose.
0: Yeah, several people have recommended to me that we read the Winnie the Pooh series when a kid. I think it's oftentimes recommended for preschool age children, but a few people no. lately have told me older, no. older elementary yes. age. Okay. Yes. Good point. So,
1: Gladys Hunt in Honey for Child Set. <laughs> Now I'm, <laughs> I'm <sort> of. <laughs> Gladys Hunt in Honey for a Child's Heart says that Pooh is a collegiate classic. Oh. The humor in Pooh, what A.A. A. Milne, now A.A. A. Milne wrote for Punch magazine, which just went out of business a few years ago, but it was the British humor magazine, similar maybe to the New Yorker or something here in America. But A.A. A. Milne said, I was never more serious as a writer than when I wrote for the nursery. So his humor is incredibly sophisticated and droll. And as an adult, you are like rolling on the floor laughing. And your children are laughing at their level, but you're really getting a kick out of it. Okay. So it is a timeless book, but it's quite sophisticated. And you know, sir, another key issue is how much a child's been read to. A child has been read to a great deal will sit through just about anything. That's true. But mm-hmm. when you're starting to turn your children into lovers of books and lovers of being read to, start with things that are short and sweet and simple. Mm -hmm. And don't bog them down too much until you've really trained them to love being read to and to develop their attention span, which for most children is pretty short.
0: Yeah, I've got a list actually of I think it's about 12 or 16 books that I thought were really good for making that transition from to just Learning how to be read, too, because I think that is true. Short yeah. chapters and really engaging characters kind of help. Yeah. So that's very good. Okay. So we're carefully building our library. And I love how you say it's something you develop taste for. Because when I first was a parent, I remember going into the library with my two-year-old. She probably wasn't even two, come to think of it. And I remember being really overwhelmed. Like, I knew some of these books had to be better than others. But I had no idea of how <laughs> to you. figure out which is which. <laughs> But now, after years of reading book lists constantly, I have, you know, I can see an author or a title, and even though I've never seen the book before, I know I've seen that one on several of my trusted book sources, so <laughs> so I can grab That's it. That's right. That's
1: exactly right. And you begin to really feel like you own the place. You go into the library, and you, you're like, sheep, goats, sheep, goats. Like, you yeah. can make that differentiation, but when you're new at this, it's so helpful to bring a list. And kind of get your sea legs under you and your confidence.
0: Yes. Okay, so what about a parent whose children or has a certain child, perhaps, who doesn't yet love reading to himself or to be read to? Do you have some advice for that parent?
1: Well, one thing I'd probably do is read books that are funny. Okay. Because humor is the way to really hook a child who's bored or who has a very short attention span.
0: Especially I'm boys, probably, if I'm thinking yes, through. Yeah, boys, of
1: course. Now, if you have a boy, that changes everything because boys' attention span and child development of boys is usually at least a year behind little girls. Yeah. And so what your little girl will sit through with her hands folded in rest position, a little boy will not. And let's address that as well, Sarah. And okay. that is, don't insist that your children sit there like little, you know, perfect mannequins while you read to them. Some children need to do something with their hands. If they're kinesthetic learners, give them beeswax clay or let them crochet or do needlework or play with Legos, something quiet. I mean, not something that's going to be noisy, but they can, as long as they're listening, and I promise you they will be if you're reading the right books. If they're begging for one more chapter, they're listening. That's how you know. Yeah. So give them something to do with their hands. With little people, I have no problem with giving them food, like, you know, putting them in a high chair and giving them one little pea, then one little piece of cheese, then one little piece of bread, then one little piece of meat, you know, Mm -hmm. and you, that way their fingers are busy, their mouth is working, so they can't talk too much, (laughs) but they're in a captive position. So very often when I work with families and I'm consulting, you know, I work with families that have as many as 13 children and they're like, of course, those families usually have figured this out before they ever talk to me. But families that are having, you know, two or three at that point, they're like, what do we do with, you know, little Susie, who's a terrorist? And I'll say, well, put her in a high chair next to you. You read out loud. And while you're reading out loud to big kids, you're giving her little pieces of food to eat. And that way, she's captive. She's not flushing herself down the toilet in the other room. You don't know where she is.
0: (laughs) I have one-and-a-half-year-old twins, so so I'm very much related to this.
1: But you know what's funny is I keep
0: thinking, we can't read aloud during a mealtime because I'm running around the kitchen, but for some reason, it never occurred to me to sit in between the high chairs and just be doling out one piece at a time. So that's brilliant.
1: Yes, exactly. And then put them to bed when everybody else has lunch if you need to, so Mm -hmm. that you can eat, you know. Yeah. But children need to do something with their hands. And very often people think that that is a lack of attention because they don't understand that a kinesthetic learner learns better when they're doing something. Some children learn better literally standing on their head. As a matter of fact, there's research on children with Down syndrome and children with, you know, kind of severe learning disabilities, and they have used trampolines and rebounders with those kids. And when the child is at the arc, at the top of the arc of their jump, If you shout out, ah, and hold up an A, for example, it imprints into the child's mind like a Down syndrome child because it's linked to a feeling of ecstasy that they're feeling.
0: That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So
1: that's why don't ever make punishment, you know, don't link punishment with being read to. It is never, never to be an unhappy time of the
0: day. Right. Oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you so much for chatting with us. This is great. I can't wait to share it with our listeners. But could you tell That's us so a little funny. bit about where we can find you online and maybe about about your consulting and seminars so our listeners sure. can find you?
1: Absolutely. So I speak nationally and I've done some international seminars as well. So people can go to our website, Carol with an E at the end, Carol Joy and Side is spelled S-E-I-D. They don't spell well in Germany. caroljoyside.com. And on that, there's links to, you know, upcoming seminars, people can register, find a seminar that's, you know, traveling distance. And some people just, we're doing a girls weekend, we're jumping in the car and driving six hours, we want to hear you. And then we have all the archives of my past newsletters for free that people can, and I have cooking videos on my website because I'm very involved with nutrition and nutritional consulting as well. And then if people want educational or nutritional consulting, and I've just been certified also as a life coach, if they want me to coach them or consult with their family, there is a link on our website that will take you to my assistant and she will set up your appointment and explains you know how all that works. So it's kind of a one-stop shop. Everything's there. And then we also have downloads of my seminars in our web store. So if you live, you know, in Bulgaria and you want um, to attend the seminar, it's just probably not going to happen, feel free to go on the web store and we have the basic seminar, a literature-based approach. We have the part two, which is called Begin with the End in Mind. We have a nutrition seminar, a parenting seminar, a seminar on the blessing and how we can bless our children spiritually. So there's all sorts of options there as well.
0: Perfect. And I will have links to all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening and trying to keep track, you can just head to readaloudrevival.com and we'll have that all linked up for you there. So, Carol, thank you so very much. It's been such a treat to chat with you. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them.
1: My name is Hannah and I am six years old. I live in New Jersey. My favorite read aloud book is Write on Mercy because she writes a lot and I hope I can too. Hello,
0: my name is Jillian. I'm 11 and I live in Roswell, Georgia. I recently read Amos Fortune Free Man by Elizabeth Yates. It is a true story about an African king who gets sold into slavery. He frees himself by learning the Channing trait. My favorite character is his adopted daughter, Selindia, because she's a girl my age, and I like learning about her life. Amos did a lot of kind and wonderful things. And I love when he begins to fight the freedom of other slaves. I wish I could have met him. Hello, my name
1: is Susanna. I am seven years old and I'm from Lansing, Michigan. And my favorite book is Emily's Runaway Imagination because she feeds rotten apples to the hogs and the hogs get drunk.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Thanks, kids. I love it when you call in and remember that your kids can call in and leave a message for me as well. Just head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page. It is super easy. And like I always say, do not worry about fumbles or if you need to guide your child through that message because we can edit it on our end, clean it up for the show. We really just want to hear about the stories that your kids are enjoying and that your family is enjoying together. So feel free to have your kids, as young or old as you'd like, leave messages for me at readaloudrevival.com. That's it for today. Until next time, Go build your family culture around books.